Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. You are Locked On Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. There is just something about Bubba Sparks's ugly that just fits for today's Locked on Browns podcast. Thank you for stopping by. My name is Jared Mueller. I'm your host for this Locked on Browns podcast, a part of the Locked on Podcast Network. You can always get a hold of me on Twitter at Jared K. Mueller. That's at J-A-R-E-D. K-M-U-E-L-L-E-R. So um, the song Ugly just uh, is just an interesting one. It's an old school one. If you haven't listened to it, maybe give it a shot from Bubba Sparks. But uh, for me, it just makes sense for as what we're going to talk about today. But even that opening line that I kind of kept in there at the end of I didn't choose rhyme, rhyme and chose me kind of feels that way for Browns fans often is that we didn't choose the Browns. The Browns chose us and have kind of held us hostage at some level, but uh, we kind of like it as well. And so that's why I've always compared Brown's fandom to the Stockholm Syndrome. And I think it is an apt description of what uh, fans go through, but it's actually not the reason I chose that song. The reason I chose that song is to talk about the AFC North. And so, um, you know, if any of you were around when uh, I started the Lockdown Browns podcast, one of the first uh, podcasts that I did, I talked about how my expectations for the North were pretty limited. I didn't think that we would see an AFC North with the kind of strength that we've seen over the last few years. And so, so far this season, they have proven me exactly right. And so obviously the Browns are 0-10. We knew the Browns were going to be bad. There was very few people with any kind of expectations that the Browns would do anything but lose and lose a lot. So that has gone as expected and as Sashi Brown talked about, pretty much as planned that the Browns are going to lose, and they're going to lose pretty strongly, but they have a plan in place. Whether you like that plan or not, well, decides whether you're okay with that. But they've made it really clear, starting out all the way through the season, they were going to build from the ground up. Even Joe Thomas talked about the Browns were doing something that's just pretty much unheard of uh, from a rebuild perspective, which is why it gives me and many Browns fans hope. They're doing it with the start of a really solid rookie class, maybe not the high upside, uh, though Corey Coleman, Emmanuel Agba, um, Carl Nassib, those guys have given you some hope. Um, They've started really from from rock bottom, and that's something different than we've seen. Then you have the Bengals, uh, who over the last few years, many prognosticators would say, had the best roster in the NFL, and they are three, five, and one. 
Yes, fans, you heard that right. Three five and ones for the Cincinnati Bengals, who many believe have the best roster in the NFL over the last couple of years. Obviously, this year they lost a couple of wide receivers in Mohamed Sanu um, and Marvin Jones in free agency. But those two players weren't any of their top flight players that you would expect could significantly alter what that team looks like. Yet here they are at three, five, and one. They just have not played well enough. And I know that sounds uh, simplified, but they're not really great at anything. 10th in passing yards, 10th in rushing yards. They are uh, giving up uh, the their 18th in points, 22nd. Uh, in points for, 18th in points against. So again, you're not looking at a Bengals roster or a Bengals team that really is performing at anything close to a high level that we've seen over the last couple of years. And they were supposed to be really the class of this division. Then you have the Steelers. They're four and five. Obviously, the injury to Ben Roethlisberger that kept them out a couple of games. Le'Veon Bell missing three games for suspension. Um, you know, those kind of things hurt. But at four and five with losses to the Eagles, the Dolphins, the Ravens, the Cowboys, and then obviously the Patriots is a loss that you kind of expect. That's a lot of losses on the record. Now you look at the rest of their season, you have, they have the Browns twice. Uh, they face off against the Colts, uh, the Bills, the Ravens, the Bengals. So they have uh, a few games left in the North. But again, at four and five, they're kind of exactly what I expected them to be. Uh, a great offensive team. They're fourth in passing yards. Um their defense is just okay. Uh, so they're 14th in points for and against, um, but they're only 25th in rushing. And so that that offensive line uh, isn't really doing what they need to do. And uh, they're getting a little too pass happy. And in the AFC North and with a defense that's suspect, it's just not kind of a recipe for uh, success. And then you have the Baltimore Ravens, who many expected to be uh, the second worst team in the league. And we know playing them as Browns fans, uh, we've played them twice, should have beaten them the first time. We lost 25-20 after everything went downhill uh, on the blocked PAT that was returned for two points. And then even in the 28-7 win uh, that the Ravens had against us, they didn't look good. We just looked terrible. And so the Ravens lead the division at 5-4, and four, just one game over 500. And it's going to be tough for any of those teams uh, to do much. So Flacco is throwing for a lot of yards. Um but they're not running the ball very well. Their uh, defense is playing pretty well. Points against, uh, they're third overall in the league, but they're not scoring enough. And so um, 28th in rushing, it's terrible, and they're 24th in points. So the Ravens are not good, and they lead the division at 5-4. and four. Looking ahead at their schedule, they have the Cowboys, a tough game. Patriots, obviously. Eagles are tough. Um, the Dolphins have playing, been playing very well. And so then they also have two games with the Bengals and the Steelers. Again, we I expect them to kind of just beat each other. Um, they're not a lot of uh, quality. You can't look at either any of those teams and say they're much better than the other. And so whoever wins and loses, it's going to be a couple here and a couple there. But I don't expect any of the Ravens, the Steelers, uh, or the Bengals really to run the table in any way that should impress anyone. And so that means the AFC North wants a division that got three teams in in the last couple of years, often got two. Most likely going to get their their champion, especially when you look at the AFC West. You got seven wins for the Chiefs, Raiders, and Broncos. Seven. So with the Steelers three games back of that, the Bengals already four games back of that. I don't see them catching any of those teams for a playoff spot. And then you have New England who will win their division. Miami is coming on strong at five and four, uh, five and five. Tennessee, 
uh, is really in it as well. Uh, somehow the Texans are a six and three with a horrible quarterback. But the AFC North, the once proud division that uh, just dominated everybody else, has fallen and they've fallen off quick. And so when you look at those rosters, when you look at where those teams are, the question really is, how far away are the Browns from competing in this division? It's a crazy question, but given how the start of this year went, a lot of games that the Browns were in just couldn't finish and maybe should have won. They didn't, and I'm not trying to just paint a rosy picture, but you ask yourself that question. Three games behind the Bengals, four games behind the Steelers, five games behind the Ravens, the Browns could have beaten the Ravens. They could have beaten the Bengals. There's a lot there. And so when you look at those rosters, uh, all three of those teams seem to be coming back to the pack. While the Browns, they've hit rock bottom, are looking at uh, kind of bouncing off that rock bottom. So turning that rock bottom kind of into a trampoline. And with a division that is struggling, it would not be a shock if the Browns, with some trades free agency, and then obviously with the draft and then the development of some of their young players, are right kind of in the thick of things. If the Bengals are 3-5 and five and the, the Steelers are 4-5 and five and the Ravens are 5-4, and four, I think the Browns next year can be right in that area. It's still a losing record. You know, after week 10, the Browns could be 4-5, and 4-6, and 5-5, and five, those kind of areas. But given the Bengals, the Steelers, and the where the Ravens are, I don't think competing for a division, albeit a very bad division, is out of the picture next year because the AFC North has come back to the Browns. It's up to the Browns to take advantage of that and to spring forward over the next two to three seasons. Whether they can do that or not is dependent on Hugh Jackson, Sashi Brown, and the rest of the group obtaining talent and then developing that talent. There is more to me, Queen Eliara of Elfgard, than my elven magic. Just as there's more to Geico than saving you money, Geico also gives you 24-7 access to licensed agents online, on the phone, or on the Geico app. And while I am a mighty elf queen, I am also a mighty big fan of barbecue potato chips. Minions! More smoky mesquite. Geico. Expect great savings and a whole lot more. We will get into the Browns Week 11 matchup with the Steelers tomorrow. It feels like for a lot of Browns fans, this deep breath between Thursday Night Football and then playing again on Sunday has been good for a lot of us just to to not really be focused too much on the field and really start looking at who the Browns are and where they're going to go. And so that that brings us, there's been a lot of articles, a lot of things out recently about the Browns, Um, but I'm going to focus solely on an article in the Monday Monday Morning Quarterback part of Sports Illustrated. Uh, hopefully I'm pronouncing her last name right, but by Jenny Verentes. Uh, and so I've I've read Verentes's stuff uh, for the last couple of years that she's been putting out. Really good stuff. And so I thought it was an interesting article. Uh, she titled it, trying to be a little bit cute. Started from the bottom. Now the Browns are dot, 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 still there. And so um, they are. They're 0-16. But I loved reading through this article. There's a lot of interesting things. A lot of people have kind of picked out what they want to pick out. So Sashi Brown. We are not focused on wins and losses this year. No crap, right? We kind of knew that. They were focused on developing a system, developing who they are, trying to bring in a bunch of young players, knowing that wins and losses weren't going to be there. A lot of people have taken that and just kind of run with it because all they care about, maybe all the fans care about, is winning and losing. 
but winning and losing in the short term may not mean anything for the Browns. They could have won more games. They could have kept <clears throat> Carlos Dansby. They could have kept Dante Whitner. They could have kept Paul Kruger. Um, they could have kept Mitchell Schwartz and Alex Mack. Again, those maybe are things that they should have done. They could have done those things and maybe won a few more games. Heck, they could have stayed in number two, drafted Carson Wentz, and maybe they would be two and eight. But they wouldn't have all that draft capital that they that they received. They wouldn't have Corey Coleman. They just wouldn't have a lot of things that they currently have. That doesn't mean it was the right decision, but they're not playing for wins and losses, and two and eight doesn't mean anything. Two and eight doesn't give you a foundation going forward. It doesn't give you options with the number one overall pick. It does possibly give you a franchise quarterback, but I'll be honest, I'm not sold on Carson Wentz the same way. No one else is sold on Jared Goff. And I'm interested to see how Dak Prescott does as teams continue to get more and more tape on him, as their offensive line maybe loses pieces, whether it's in free agency, injury, or age, how he does when he has kind of got a shoulder to load. But much like Ben Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh, He's not going to have to do that for at least a couple of years. And by that point, maybe he has developed. But I'm not certain that Prescott is really a franchise guy that can carry a team. He can play very, very well with a team that can be carried by their offensive line. So that was one thing, one kind of statement. And I love Sashi Browns. We're not going to blink. No one is panicked here. Good. They panicked. That'd be crazy. But Jason La Canforna, who really likes to just stir the pot, said that things aren't going well, that things are kind of going in the wrong direction. I don't think that's true. Uh, He said a lot of negatives about the Browns for a lot of different reasons people can assume, but I don't think it's accurate. Uh, Another thing people have kind of of jumping onto was that uh, Hugh Jackson and Jimmy Haslam meet three to four times a week. Three to four times a week. And many people are wondering, does that mean Haslam is overreacting? And do you think that's Haslam freaking out or being too meddlesome or too involved? But from what I'm told behind the scenes, Hugh Jackson really wanted something like this. He's not meeting with Jimmy Haslam to prove himself. He's not meeting with Jimmy Haslam to um, try to stave off getting in trouble or because Haslam wants to be overly involved. He and Jimmy Haslam are meeting to just talk about things. It's it's like having your boss around, obviously a little higher up, but having your boss around, just talking through where things are, what they're seeing, what's good, what's bad. They're in a lot of agreement. They see some good. They don't see some good. Uh, they see some hope. They see some development. They see some players really coming on, Agba being one of them. Danny Shelton's another. Uh, they see some players that really give them a lot of hope, Terrell Pryor, Jamie Collins, Corey Coleman, um, they see an offensive line that needs some help, hoping Joel Batonio is back, but knowing how important that is kind of as a bedrock uh, going forward. Um, and so that meeting, while many people want to take that out of context, is actually something that is really, really helpful so that Hugh Jackson knows that Jimmy Haslam understands where they're at, so that Hugh Jackson and Jimmy Haslam understand each other, understand just the worries, the concerns, what they're seeing, what they want, all of that kind of stuff. Instead of having a boss who isn't really involved but may swoop in at any point and, and just kind of knock uh, Jackson off the pedestal, Hugh feels really comfortable that at least he's having these constant engagements, interactions. He knows where Jimmy stands. Jimmy knows where he stands. But Jimmy's not over uh, complicating things. He's not micromanaging in this process. He's involved in a discussion. Sometimes the discussions are half hour, 15, 20, 30 minutes. Uh, sometimes they're a little bit longer, but there are discussions that allow Hugh and Jimmy to feel like they're on the same page. 
that Hugh talks, has talked about, um, how he knows that Jimmy Haslam uh, knows what, what to expect, that this would be a process, this would be a plan. And so those are two and three interesting quotes that many people have kind of grabbed hold of because they're kind of storylines. Uh, is there drama in the Browns? Is the front office freaking out? Is the front office upset with Hugh Jackson for losing? Is Hugh Jackson upset with the front office for not bringing in players to win right away? Yeah, they're on the same page. They talk a lot. Jimmy Haslam is engaged, but not meddling. It's not a bad thing. Could it become a bad thing? Very, very possibly. If the Browns aren't worried about winning at some level in year two and three, that is a concern. Even though winning for real is probably at year three or four, they need to start caring about winning next year. The quote that I will grab hold of, and I tweeted this out earlier, and it will uh, be something that just really talks to me about identity and where someone sees themselves. And so uh, it's actually how Brentez ends her piece. But after the losses, Jackson has done something that reflects his own personal confidence. In private moments, he's told opposing players and coaches a simple message. You better get me now because this organization is coming back. I promise you that. That is a person who is not quietly confident. That is a person who is confident. That means he's confident in the organization. He's confident in the players they've brought in. He's confident in his coaching staff. Does that mean there won't be changes at some point in time? No, it's very possible that in, after year two, Ray Horton's defense shows that it's terrible, even with what I expect to be a huge influx in talent. And maybe they make a move. Or maybe Pep Hamilton just needs to do something different, or Kirby Wilson, or a, a plethora of other coaches. But Hugh Jackson is someone who really believes in what's happening. He believes in himself. He believes in his players. It's one of the reasons, and we'll talk about this at different times than I've already have, it's one of the reasons I believe Robert Griffin III is a very possible candidate to start next year for the Cleveland Browns. Hugh put a lot of time and effort into developing him and believes in him. There is something in Robert Griffin III, his talent, his abilities, his attitude, whatever it is, that Hugh Jackson really does believe in. And so that is why next year I expect to see the possibility of Robert Griffin III starting uh, week one for the Cleveland Browns, even if. Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Kaiser, Mitch Trubisky, Mason Rudolph, any of those guys are drafted because Hugh Jackson has said to other players and other coaches, and so based on the way this is said, it makes me believe that Verentes has heard this from other players and other coaches because he's not, she's not quoting Hugh Jackson saying this. doesn't seem that way. But again, Hugh Jackson said, you better get me now because this organization is coming back. I promise you that. Browns fan, this is a this is a guy I believe in. This is a team I believe in. While 0-16 might be rough, it is just rock bottom. The question is, is that rock bottom rock hard and a slow crawl? Or is there a trampoline down there that when the Browns hit it, they fly back up and they start to soar like a team we can be proud of? We'll find out that over the next couple of years. Thanks again for stopping by this Lockdown Browns podcast. Again, my name is Jared Mueller. You can get a hold of me on Twitter at Jared K. Mueller. You can find all of my Browns writing at theobr.com. Again, that's theobr.com. The Orange and Brown Report is a part of Scout Media, and so you can also find 
uh, my work and some of my writer's work at the CLE for me. That's CLE for me, the number four dot com. CLE for me dot com. Again, thank you for stopping by. And go Browns. Rush into Old Navy today for this can't-miss one-day deal. 50% off all Old Navy active for the family. Get the workout wear you need at a huge 50% off one day only today. Hurry in or miss out at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1020, select styles only, excludes in-store clearance.